Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Filippo Catalano. Filippo is the Chief Information and Digitization Officer of Reckitt Benckiser Group, a nearly $18 billion revenue company that's in the business of hygiene, health, and nutrition. He's been enrolled for two and a half years. He has a broad remit to include traditional IT, but also broader digital business and data. I look forward to hearing more about how he manages each. Prior to Reckitt, Filippo was the group CIO of Nestle. Filippo, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. Well, Filippo, you are the Chief Information and Digitization Officer of Reckitt. And I, for those who may be less familiar with Reckitt, please uh, take a moment and describe the business. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Reckitt is uh, one of the leading CPG companies in the world. We have three uh, categories we play in. Uh, one is uh, hygiene. Uh, where uh, our mission is to make sure that people around the world have access to hygiene as a foundation of their life and their health. Our uh, other business unit is, uh, is is health. We play in uh, OTC and a few other uh, categories such as uh, BMS and uh, uh, sexual wellness. And the, the other one is nutrition uh, with key brands that help infants around the world to have healthy starts uh, and also other fields in, uh, in, in nutrition. The, the company is based in, uh, in the UK. We are one of the key food companies and uh, has an international footprint. We have operations everywhere in, uh, in the world. And I'm sure a lot of the people that will listen to this, if they look around their house, they will have three or four products uh, at home. That's excellent. And, and as I mentioned, you're the Chief Information and Digitization Officer. Talk a bit about your role, if you would. My mission at, at Reckitt is indeed to take everything around the area of, let's say, IT, technology, digital, and data, and uh, make sure that um, this is used in, uh, in, in the company to drive its transformation, to improve its operation, and to help us serve consumers and customers around the world in the best way possible. So my my team's uh, remit is uh, is uh, is quite a quite, quite a broad one, and actually, uh, at the time of a big transformation of the company, it's quite exciting to see all these pieces coming together. And in fact, uh, after you joined, you rebranded the IT organization to IT and Digital. Uh, talk a bit about yeah. the the rationale there, if you would, Filippo. Yeah, I, th I think the uh, when I joined the company, one of the first things we we did is really to bring together under the same the same roof in the same in the same house uh, everybody that was working on uh, technology data and digital in uh, and uh, in the company around the world to rebuild the global function and uh, and for me one of the one of my key beliefs is that modern uh, IT modern technology is is digital as well so there is no way to win to be value delivery uh, focus and to to provide transformation capabilities to the company if you don't tie all the pieces together. And, and you mentioned the the broad remit, IT, technology, digital data. Um, I wonder, especially on the data side, when you joined the organization um, roughly two and a half years ago, what, what did you find in terms of data capabilities and what sorts of um, areas of emphasis or areas of improvement have you focused on there? After I joined, I would say that uh, if you work in uh, in consumer goods, uh, the data is always has, has been for for many years one of the key foundations of the how the companies are run. You know how you talk to customers, how you talk to consumers, how you optimize your your own uh, uh, your own operations. 
what we had to do uh, with my team in uh, here in Rekit uh, was, was to basically relaunch and recreate a solid company-wide data and analytics strategy. And we rebuilt the, the work in this area uh, together with my team, looking at really going back to some of the foundations of uh, of data and analytics and one of the foundations for me is the the fair model f a i r which uh, which is an industry framework to say that data needs to be uh, findable needs to be accessible needs to be uh, interoperable and needs to be reusable within the enterprise my i have very, very strong belief if if data strategies within within companies don't embrace those uh, principles of fair they they are uh, limited in the way they can deliver value and they can scale in the in the enterprise. Another, I think, important uh, element of a strong uh, data and analytics strategy is to articulate the fact that this is a continuum that starts with strong data quality, data governance, data engineering, and then you go up the stack to uh, to analytics, reporting, descriptive, prescriptive and uh, to, to what you can do with machine learning and AI. If you don't do the homework of strong foundations on data, it's very difficult to get the, uh, the value that you want at the end. Uh, you will do a lot of POCs, you will do a lot of tests that look good, but it will be very difficult to scale in the typical enterprise. And to talk a bit about the people element of this, if you would, Filippo, no doubt, uh, uh... You know, important for you to have great team members with the appropriate skills and, and perhaps even the, the the means of growing those skills in order to uh, uh, better contribute to your vision there. Uh, talk a bit about how you've built the team around this, uh, you know, the, the data team that brings us to life. The good news today is that there is a lot of training opportunities uh, out there. You don't need to build uh, internal, you know, upskilling reskilling type of programs there's so much available there in the you know in the platforms that all of our companies are using to provide on-demand uh, training content to the to the employees i think that's that's the first one another another element is that data professionals that understand also and experience in in their life different parts of the business are more effective and more powerful so it's always uh finding a combination of business expertise, functional expertise, and data and analytics skills. If you combine the two things together, you will, you will, you're going to be much more successful. And the other, the other element is from a, from a team point of view is that while on one side, you want to make sure that you have the right platforms, the right, uh, the right common capabilities, the right um, shared components, you want also to make sure that as much as possible, everybody in the company becomes a data scientist. Everybody in the company becomes uh, a citizen uh, analyst in a way. And what we try to do, uh, and I think is an important part of everybody's trying to do transformation in the in in the company, is to find ways to get out of the way so that you can unleash creativity and power of people everywhere in the organization to do what they need to do on data and analytics, but also to do it on the right platforms so that things are done in a fair way, but also in a safe way. And so how do you create modular capabilities? How, how do you create common data assets that can be used by everybody in the company with the right safeguards for certain types type of data assets? That's key for me. You will be successful when you have 
you know, basically all of your employee space being, in a way, being, being able to self-service on a lot of your data landscape to, to create insights. You alluded to uh, the advances towards artificial intelligence, uh, no doubt something, a, a broad topic that uh, Reckitt has been leveraging for quite some time. What's your latest thought process in terms of the future of AI and what excites you as you think about it? Uh, that's a that that's such a such a you know hot topic today in the in the industry in the press. We uh, we are of course uh, on uh, on this topic since since a while. And by the way, there is a lot of machine learning and AI that most of the companies like ours have done for for quite a few years without calling it uh, AI. So uh, I think that's that's the first first realization is that there is much more going on that people maybe uh, realize or believe. The, the second thing we, we are trying to do is that, again, AI, especially Gen, uh, Gen AI, is quite a, quite a game changer in, in, in some of the areas of the overall AI landscape. But still, it requires, if you really want to be delivering competitive advantage, to have high quality data that you own within the company to do those refinements, to do those uh, uh, specific model trainings, to do things that truly are a competitive advantage. If you don't have that, you will be in the middle of the pack doing exactly what the others are doing. And it will be uh, very difficult to, to, to create uh, truly an, an advantage. So i go back to the point of data foundation, data quality, data governance is, uh, is, a, is a very important precondition for success in, uh, in AI. The, the other thing is to, to consider is also the point of, uh, of responsibility. I think all of us working in, uh, in, in this sector, and I personally have been working on AI for you know, most, of my, uh, most of my career from medical devices, AI for medical devices to you know, nutrition to, to other areas, is the point of how do you do it in a responsible way? I think that all of us are busy to not just to make sure responsibility is embedded in the right way, but also that we continuously monitor and update, given the advancements that we have on the outside world, we, we monitor the, the responsibility principles that we, we need to have in our data. Beyond the legislation, which is, of course, uh, something that uh, we, all, uh, uh, we all consider, there is, a, there is a lot to be done on, uh, on the responsible use of AI in, in the enterprise, from how you, uh, how you define your uh, training data sets, how you remove bias, how you remove... Uh, how do you introduce auditability along the process? There are so many things that our um, analysts and our employees in general need to need to be staying on top of. In terms of additional uh, foundational elements, I know that from our past conversations, we got to know each other when you were the group uh, CIO at Nestle and you, you had what you described as the AAA architecture. And I know that's something you've uh, carried with you to wreck it as well. Can you describe that as an important foundational element to what you've described? I'll I'll try at least without without what I would normally do with a nice whiteboard. So I'll <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll try. And uh, by the way, this is this is something that together with some some of my colleagues along and different teams, I think we have refined over time. It's uh, I think it's an important part of how I see technology driving transformation in, uh, in, in every company. So the AAA model basically says that to, uh, if you do technology and digital in a, in, a, in a company, you have three ways of doing well. The first one is to, you take capabilities that are, are out there and, and you 
uh, adopt them. That's the first A. So you do really minimal work to make a capability that exists on the marketplace and you use it in the enterprise, knowing that you will have minimal, if not zero competitive advantage in doing so. But at least your uh, leverage is something that somebody else is doing for you. The second aspect of the A is the adapt, where you have something that is there in the marketplace, but you use mostly configuration to say that capability is out there, but I'm going to use the native capabilities of that uh, thing that I'm uh, sourcing to adapt it uh, into my landscape. So how I, I integrate it in the right way, how do I configure business process and uh, maybe taxonomy differences within, within my company. But importantly, if the capability gets upgraded by the provider that you source it from, you are on the upgrade path. You don't get 12 months, 24 months behind from a technology that. And then the last uh, A stands for assemble which is basically saying, um, when I really need competitive advantage, I need to assemble capabilities in a modern way. And there are different frameworks there on how to do it with, with a Mac approach, with other, other you know, API first type of approaches. You basically say, I'm going to assemble something that is really specific to my company at this point in time, because I'm going to get competitive advantage out of it. And I'll do it in a, in the most modular way possible. And by the way, I continuously monitor how this is uh, uh, evolving over time because maybe a few years later, there is an entrant that is going to provide you what was before a unique competitive advantage as, uh, as an adopt uh, or an adapt uh, approach. And the, the last point is that you try to be, to steer away from the, from the danger area, which uh, is called the BB area, which is the buy and build. A lot of us in uh, in that has been long long enough in uh, in uh, in in the enterprise working on uh, technology, we've been asked all the time, "Hey, is this something that uh, that you buy or something that you build?" And that has always been the wrong question, because the the question is not whether you buy or build. The question is, are you actually buying something? but it doesn't work as intended. So you build on top of something that you buy and you, you create a ton of technology that's you know, a lot of cost for questionable uh, competitive advantage. That's the zone where you don't want to be in and move away from. So if you're transforming your enterprise, I always recommend to start from an architecture view. Use architecture as a, as a way to drive the, the strategy. We say architecture is a strategy. If architecture is used as a strategy, then you can truly design a roadmap for your transformation that is giving you some of those choices in uh, uh, in a more intentional way. Very interesting insights. I appreciate you you sharing those as well. Filippo, these are very dynamic times to say the least with a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of need for re resilience uh, in our lives and our businesses. Uh, one thinks of coming out of the, the pandemic uh, you, you were in Europe and on the continent, there's currently a war uh, with, with, with all sorts of dynamism. Uh, these are times when technology can be uh, a source of resilience for their enterprise enterprises. And I wonder what thoughts you have in terms of how best to foster that. Absolutely. We, we see this since, since a few years, that the role of technology has evolved from, you know, being one of the custodians of the, you know, the classic business continuity management, business uh, BCPs type of work, 
into a broader, uh, adopting a broader lens um, through technology, data, digital capabilities. Today, you can actually help to secure in a, in a proactive way the, the way an enterprise operates around the world. Uh, how do you, uh, for instance, prepare for things that might happen somewhere in, you know, in the supply chain, in some of the partners you, you, you work with, or uh, within your own uh, you know, offices and employee bases? This is a much higher uh, priority now you know, on our purview. And I think myself and many of my colleagues out there, we we are we are trying to to bring some of the uh, technology uh, enabled uh, resiliency to the to a broader part of the enterprise. This is going beyond you know the classic cyber resilience, beyond the you know the disaster recovery type of methodologies, and really looking more into how can technology play a role in securing the resilience to of the enterprise to the inevitable sudden change that, that comes in today's world. I, I wanted to also ask you, you spend an awful lot of time with the the startup community. You've been on the advisory board of a great number of organizations. Uh, you're on the, the, the board of directors for organizations as well. Talk a bit about uh, how you see organizations like yours working best with venture back companies um, and, and the symbiosis in that relationship. That's that's one of my one of my lifelong and career long passions indeed, um, and I always try to uh, to be very well connected to the to the uh, to the startup movement, the startup community uh, throughout my career, and uh, I found it as an incredible source of uh, of personal inspiration and personal growth. And so the fir- the first thing from a personal point of view is that. I am very, very thankful throughout my, you know, 20 plus years in the industry to have had the chance to, to meet a partner with a, a key startups and key VCs along the way that, uh, that helped me and the companies I was, I was uh, working in to, to really understand the important technology trends out there. Um, and then I think it's important for how do you actually going to work with startups in a typical enterprise setup? Because if you look at the you know startup scale up phase, some of those companies are not ready to fully work with a with a typical enterprise. And for me, one one of the suggestions I I give to my teams is is to be very intentional of how they can be for the right capabilities, how they can be the landing pad into the enterprise of some of those new capabilities out there. Because it takes a, a bit of faith and it takes a bit of barrier busting to, to make sure that some things that you believe are going to be important or they're going to change dramatically how the enterprise technology team operates. They, they need to be protected and nourished the first, the first time they get in touch with, a, with, a, with your enterprise. I think there is also another, another thing that needs to happen. It needs to be intentional about the innovation you want to do with startups. If you do just... You know, general scouting. Uh, you know, some people call it innovation safaris. You will get, you will see a lot of things, and you will not do a lot of change. I think you need to be very intentional to have a disciplined innovation process that says, "I know what's out there, but also I know what I need." And trying to marry the art of the possible with the needs, and trying to make the two things work together. I think that's where the the magic happens. Very interesting. I, I we wanted to also ask you. We've already talked about a number of of important trends t- trends centered around data, 
uh, analytics, uh, artificial intelligence. As you look to the future, are there any additional trends, whether technology or business or any others that come to mind that particularly excite you, Filippo? Look, I'll give you maybe one that is not so exciting, but is super important, uh, which is efficiency. What we saw already in, uh, in, uh, in my world, and I, I talk regularly to a lot of my peers in the, in the industry, is that it's important to, to bring more efficiency to the way we do work with technology and data in, in the typical company. The market has its own dynamics, right? You know, commodity pricing, uh, you know, geopolitical factors, uh, inflation, and so on. And one, one thing that is happening to technology leaders is to make sure that they can continue to, to optimize the way they operate the technology landscape of the, of the company. The operation side of the technology in, a, in an enterprise is really the branded butter to allow you to, is the table stakes to be able to do, to do, uh, to do the rest. And if you want to transform the company, you need to invest. But you need to find a way to uh, release resources, either you know, people, financial resources, or or attention uh, from what you do in the day to day. Optimize it continuously and and reinvest in uh, in the in the new capabilities. And going back to the point about architecture, if you if you have an intentional architecture vision, this will help to find those uh, those efficiencies. And um, so it's a it's a trend. It's not maybe the most innovative trend, but there is a lot of innovation happening right now to make sure that uh, efficiency those efficiencies can be identified and then realized. Think about process mining. Think think about using AI for the technology processes within the company, from you know from support to 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 coding to to testing to 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 quality assurance. There. Are, so many opportunities to to identify and release efficiencies to be reinvested in uh, in transformation. It's been an interesting theme, I think, across multiple parts of this conversation, Filippo, of ensuring that as a tech and digital leader, you are getting the basics right, setting a sound foundation in order to further innovate, in order to add greater levels of value. That if you don't, if you don't have an efficient shop, if your your data program isn't set up for success. Uh, then your pathway to ultimate top-line growth uh, driven by digital capabilities and, and data insights, for example, are going to be minimized uh, as a result of that. So it really sounds like that's an area of focus for you is ensuring that you have the building blocks in, in place to ensure that the, the larger value contribution is even possible. Fair point? Absolutely. You, you summarized well. I think the uh, people forget uh, in some of the narratives that you hear in uh, in the outside world. They forget that uh, foundations are key for long-term sustainable uh, delivery of capabilities. They don't make the news most of the time, but if you don't have strong foundations, you will do a lot of great one-off proof of concepts and pilots and success stories, but very very little will get out of the of that stage to 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 truly make an impact in the, in the enterprise. So it takes patience as well. Very good. Uh, Filippo, I wanted to close by asking you, uh, as somebody who's had you know, a long, more than a decade and a half at P&G, uh, you uh, spent time at Nestle. I mentioned you were the group chief information officer there. Now your, your role is chief information and digitization officer uh, at Reckitt. 
Uh, as you contemplate your rise to roles of greater responsibility at companies of consequence, what have been the difference makers along the way that have facilitated that rise? I think in hindsight, it's very very easy to 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 connect the dots. I don't. I'm not sure it was a. It was that clear while I was uh, I was taking some of those decisions, but I think one one thing that I think paid uh, paid out for me was always be very very curious about uh, technology. Uh, never uh, never stop uh, experimenting and testing and uh, connecting and networking with the people, organizations, and talk leaders that better than me were able to uh, to show me uh, the unevenly distributed future that was already out there. So that's that's the first thing. The other one for me is the the fact that I believe in careers where people take intentional choices for breath. So they they learn more areas, but also they go they start to go deep in many areas. You know, it's uh, uh it's important I think in today's world where technology is so you know, it's permeating so many aspects of how uh, company and society uh, work is to have experience, have, have had real life, hands-on experience on uh, on many of the technology areas, different functional areas, different business areas, because this way you will be, I believe, a better leader in uh, in helping your teams and coaching your teams going uh, going going forward. And the Maybe the, la- the last thing that I tell my team all the time is uh, also good technology leaders will look at ways to make at least part of their role obsolete over time. Technology is about exponential uh, change in how things are done, more slow applied to different parts of the technology landscape. And like we want to change the, the you know the, our the, the world of the companies that we support and we enable and we, we drive through through tech it's also important to look at in inside our own roles and see what else what can we do in our teams with technologies with with automation to to eliminate some some of the components of the work to really uh, uh, make sure that we move forward to the to the other uh, newer areas so th- these are for me without pretense uh, the maybe the, the three things I would uh, I would highlight. Fascinating. I really appreciate that reflection, Filippo. Uh, as you say, sometimes it's easier to uh, to, to view that progress backwards than to, to live it forwards. But your advice, no doubt, will help uh, others who would wish to perhaps uh, have a, a career that rhymes with yours uh, achieve some of the same. Uh, Filippo, thank you so much for a, a fantastic conversation covering the transformation you've already been leading across your two and a half years at Reckitt, but a bit more about your remarkable career, generally speaking, as well. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thanks for having me.